Hello, it's such a gift to be back at First Alliance Church and great to connect with all of you online. You know, I've been to many churches in different parts of the world and First Alliance is one of my favorite faith communities anywhere. So uh, it's such a joy to, to be back. I've appreciated the visionary, courageous leadership of Pastor James and I've had the gift of being a longtime friend of Ray and Dee Matheson, and it's good to reconnect with uh, Tiffany, who, as she mentioned earlier, was part of our church in Vancouver when she was a student at UBC. Speaking of students, it's been a long time since I've been a student, but for years, I had a recurring dream that I was facing an exam in math or French that I was completely unprepared for. And in my dream, I feel this wave of anxiety as I'm afraid that my grade point average is going to sink through the floor. I don't have that dream these days, but I have another dream. I have a dream that I'm about to preach somewhere or give a speech, and I have no idea what I'm going to say. And so I grab a piece of paper, scratch out a little outline, get up in front of the folks, look down, and all I see is a number sign, an exclamation mark, a greater than sign, the number two. And I have no idea what these are supposed to trigger in my memory. And then Kyle gets up and walks out of the auditorium, as does Tiffany, and then everyone begins to disperse, and soon the space is empty. Now what these dreams are telling me is that at a subconscious level, I have a fear of not being enough, of being deficient in some way. In the Bible, and social science have a word for this, shame. The fear of not being enough, shame. And we can feel shame as a student if we didn't do as well on an exam as we had hoped. We can feel shame when we don't perform to our expectations at work or if we're out of work. We can feel shame if our financial situation is bad. We can feel shame if our financial situation is good, but we're comparing our situation to someone who seems to be better off financially than we are. I know someone who advises people who are part of the top 50 wealthiest people in BC list. Didn't even know there was such a list until I met her. She tells me, you would think that if you were part of that list of 50 wealthiest people in BC, you'd be happy. But she says, if you're on that list and then you realize that someone is surpassing you on that list, you can feel miserable and like a failure. We can feel shame over our bodies. When I was in high school, I played quite a lot of basketball. And I remember our coach would divide our team into two during practice so we could scrimmage. One team would be shirts and the other team would be skins. I'm skinny now, but I was even skinnier in high school and I would always pray, God, help me to be a shirt because I didn't want people to see how skinny I really was. The other day, my wife said, you haven't worn this shirt for a while. I said, it has vertical stripes that makes me look thin. We can make clothing choices based on how it will cover the parts of our body that we're least proud of. We can feel shame when our body doesn't function as we would like it to. Early in our marriage, 
My wife and I had a pregnancy complication, had some years of infertility. We can feel shame when our body doesn't do what we want them to do. And shame can cause us either to shrink back and go small or to try and go big in order to validate ourselves. In Barack Obama's memoir, he wondered about his motivations for running for president. He thought, was I trying to win the approval of a father who had abandoned me or live up to the starry-eyed expectations of my mother for her only son or resolve any self-doubt that remained from being born a child of mixed race? His wife, Michelle, said Barack would work himself to the point of exhaustion because he was trying to fill a hole inside him. Shame can cause us either to shrink back and go small or to try and go big in order to prove our worth. Many, quote, successful people have been driven to achieve out of a fear of being just ordinary, out of a fear of not being enough. The brilliant writer on the spiritual life, Thomas Merton, has said, we feel invisible as human beings. And so we wrap ourselves in bandages, bandages of achievement, bandages of material possessions, bandages of pleasures, bandages of trying to build a reputation so that we will be seen as special. But the spiritual masters tell us that when we try to prove that we are worthy, that we are special through what we do, what we have, or by how others see us, we're living from our false self. And in this message, I want to explore what it looks like to live from our truest self, to become who we were created to be, not who the world tells us we're supposed to be how we can become our made in the image of God's self as we experience something of the vastness of God's love for us. In Ephesians chapter three, reread these words. Verse 16, Paul prays, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Let's take a moment to pray. Living God, on this Pentecost Sunday, we pray that your spirit would descend upon us in a fresh way and awaken us to how great is your love for us in Christ. And as we receive that love and awaken to that love, may it change the way we move through the world. May we live with greater joy and lightness of being for your glory and the good of others. In Christ's name, amen. In this message, I want to explore how we can awaken to just how wide, how long, how high, how deep is God's love for us through the window of other people, through the practice of confession, which isn't just for Catholics, and through the pathway of beauty. Shame was not an emotion that human beings always experienced. 
In the very beginning, in the Garden of Eden, according to Genesis 2.25, Adam and Eve were both naked and yet experienced no shame. And when the Bible says Adam and Eve were naked and experienced no shame, it wasn't just referring to a physical nakedness, but they were psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually open and transparent with each other. And then the scriptures tell us that the devil, the one who didn't feel like he was quite enough, approached Adam and Eve and whispered, if you will only eat from the one tree you've been forbidden to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You'll be so much more. You'll be fulfilled and free. You'll be just like God. And Adam and Eve turned from the living God. And according to the Bible, they literally and figuratively bite. And what happens to them? Do they become so much more fulfilled and free, a better version of themselves? No, they instantly feel like something has been taken from them and they experience an emotion that they've never known before, shame. And they cover themselves with fig leaves and hide in the bushes. When we turn away from the source of all love, beauty, and joy, we don't become more, we become less. It's as we turn back to the source of all love, beauty, and joy, that we live lighter and freer from shame and become the people that we were created to be. We begin to reflect more of the joyous and beautiful image of our maker. One of the first times I reflected on this theme out loud was back in November when I was speaking at a retreat in Cambodia for some ministry leaders. And during one of my talks, I spontaneously said, I want you to imagine someone who has loved you into becoming the person that you are today. Imagine someone who has loved you into being. At the end of the retreat, we were having lunch around round tables. A Cambodian national woman named Lekana approached me and said, do you mind if I sit beside you because I want to tell you something? I said, sure. She said, in your talk, you asked us to imagine someone who has loved you into being, and this person came to mind, and I want to share that story with you with some background. I said, great. Lakana said, I was born into a very, very poor family here in Cambodia, raised by a single mother. And as a young girl, my chore each morning was to get up early and to scrounge through the neighbor's garbage bins looking for food so that we could eat, looking for scraps that we could recycle and sell at the market. We were really, really poor. She said, as a young person, I came to know Jesus. I became a Christian. And to some extent, my shame was healed. But I know that it wasn't fully healed because I was always way too embarrassed, too ashamed to invite people to our house because it was so small and so dilapidated in the slums. And then one day, a friend from church who was originally from your church in Vancouver said, Lakana, I'd like to see your house where you live and meet your mother. And I said, no, 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 you don't want to come to my house. No, you don't want to come. No, 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 no. But he kept pushing and pushing. Kevin, who I know, uh, can be pushy. <laughs> so she finally said, okay, come on over. 
And Lachana said, my greatest fear was that it would start raining because our, our roof leaks terribly. He comes over and my worst fear is realized. It starts pouring and rain is coming into our house through the leaking roof. My mom's putting out buckets. I'm putting out plates and bolts to try and catch the, the, the water that's coming in. My mom pushes Kevin to the one corner of the house where it's actually dry. And I'm expecting Kevin is really judging me, really looking down on me. But I look over and I see no judgment at all. Zero. Three days later, he came back to the house, fixed the roof. It's been good for 10 years. And then he married me. (laughs) Some of you like that story over here. Probably not right away because they were just friends, but in due course. And she said, when you asked us to imagine someone who has loved you into being, I thought about Kevin Knight from your church. I want you to imagine someone who has loved you into becoming the person that you are now. It might not be a romantic partner. It might be someone in your family. It might be a teacher. Just bring that person to mind for a moment. Someone who has loved you without condition. Someone who's loved you into being. If you can't think of someone, just pray that God would bring such a person into your life. Thank God for that person if you can imagine that person. Thank God for that person because that person may be a window into just how wide and long and high and deep is God's love for you in Christ Jesus. Each morning, I, if I'm in Vancouver, if I'm not in Calgary or somewhere else, I'll walk or jog with our golden retriever, Sasha, and I'll simply bring to mind a handful of people who have loved me into being and it becomes a window into God's love for me. And I feel a little lighter, a little more joyful, a little freer. As Tiffany mentioned, I've just written a book, just been released. First time I'm speaking about it in a church since the book has been released. Called Now I Become Myself, How Deep Grace Heals Our Shame and Restores Our True Self. And in the book, I describe certain rituals and practices that can awaken us to a sense that we are truly cherished and loved by our maker so that we live with greater joy and freedom from shame, greater lightness of being. So I talk about how we can experience God's love through people. I also talk about how we can experience God's love through the practice of confession. Now, when we feel shame over something we've done or haven't done, the last thing we probably want to do is to confess that to someone. We are living in a time right now where there is widespread anxiety and depression, especially among young people. And when a person feels depressed, the last thing they likely want to do is to confess that to someone. What they want to do is hide under their sheets, stay in bed, when the best thing they could do is probably go outside, especially on a day like today, go for a walk, go for a bike ride. When a person feels depressed, they just want to binge watch Netflix, eat a tub of ice cream. Some of you are saying, wait a minute, that's how I celebrate. (laughs) Okay, that may be true. Uh, When the best thing to do may be to call a friend, to connect with someone. Dr. Arthur Brooks, the professor at Harvard, says that when you are depressed, it's good to engage in the opposite signal strategy. 
opposite signal strategy, doing the exact opposite thing that you feel like doing in the moment. Exactly. And when we feel shame over something we've done or haven't done, it can be good to engage in the opposite signal strategy. We don't feel like confessing that to anyone. The best thing to do may be to confess that to someone we trust. In James 5.16, scripture tells us to confess our sins, not just to God, but to one another and pray for each other that we may be healed. Brene Brown, the social scientist and the shame researcher says, if you put shame in a Petri dish and want it to expand exponentially, just add secrecy, silence, and judgment. But if you want shame to evaporate, just add empathy. Because shame in the presence of an empathetic person cannot survive. I'm a little embarrassed to share this story with you, but I think it illustrates the point. I hope it does, because it's embarrassing, a little embarrassing. Years ago when I was a student, one summer during summer break, I, I went on a trip. And while traveling, I met someone that I was powerfully attracted to. There was a lot of chemistry between us, at least for me. But a romantic relationship was certainly out of bounds because she was in a relationship with someone else and I was intending to initiate a dating relationship with someone back home. Yeah, so it's a part of me felt like crying. One night, we met up in a public place, so we were just on a sidewalk and we spontaneously started kissing and, and making out a little bit. We were in a public place, so there were some restraints in place. You may say, oh, that's not a big deal. But I felt like I had violated my code, my conscience. And so I was feeling both guilt and shame. Not long thereafter, I confessed what I had done to a trusted Christian friend of mine. And uh, I was hoping that his phone would go off so that he'd be distracted <laughs> during the confession. But unfortunately it didn't. And he teared up, he was disappointed. But he said, I love you, Ken. And as I made that confession and felt received, it was like this huge burden was lifted off of my shoulders. And when we confess our shame to someone or something we've done that we feel guilt about, perhaps, whether it's a trusted friend, a pastor, a counselor, a spiritual director, whoever, and that person says, I'm not going anywhere. Or welcome to the human race. We can know freedom and we can know lightness of being and we get a window into just how wide and how long and how high and how deep is God's love for us. So we can experience freedom and lightness of being through God's love as it's manifest to us through people as we engage in the practice of confession and as we put ourselves on the pathway of beauty. An experiment was done at Stanford University where research participants were asked to go on a 90 minute walk. Half the participants were asked to walk along one of the busiest streets in Silicon Valley. The other half of the group was asked to walk a beautiful scenic trail lined with trees near the university campus. After their 90 minute walks, they were all put in MRI machines. And the scan showed that those who walked the busy street in Silicon Valley, 
the scan showed that their brains were defaulting to experiencing regret about something they had done in the past or anxiety about something they were concerned about in their future. Their minds were just churning, churning, churning with worry. But the scans showed that those who walk the beautiful wooded trail near the campus, these scans showed that the part of their brain associated with experiencing anxiety, self-critique, and depression had gone quiet. The experience of shame involves self-analysis, self-criticism, and self-condemnation, which are primarily left-brain activities. When we are exposed to beauty, the right side of our brain lights up leaving less room for shame to work. Some years ago, I was canoeing in the middle of the night on the Sunshine Coast. Have any of you been to the Sunshine Coast by chance? Okay, a number of you. I was canoeing with my longtime friend, Elizabeth, who is like a sister to me. It was a gorgeous starlit night there on the Sunshine Coast. And each time we would drop our oars into the water, I can't explain this because I'm not a marine biologist, but as we would drop our oars into the water because of something called phosphorescence, the water lit up like the Northern Lights underwater, like fireworks under the water. Gorgeous stars above the phosphorescence in the water below. And my friend Elizabeth from the front of the canoe exuberantly, spontaneously cried out, this is the greatest moment of my life. It really was amazing, the two of us canoeing, as it were, through the cosmos. Have you experienced wonder in the face of great natural beauty, maybe at the ocean or in the Rocky Mountains here in Alberta or before a meadow or somewhere else? Can you picture that place and time and experience for a moment? If you can remember something of the awe that you felt in the face of that beauty, you get a small window into how God feels about you. The wonder God experiences as God, your maker, views you. And so when you put yourself in the pathway of beauty, not only does that activate the right side of your brain, leaving less room for shame to work, but you also get a window into how vast and grand God's love is for you. And you live with greater joy and lightness of being and freer from shame. So, we can experience God's love through others, through confession, through beauty. I write about eight practices that can help us not just know about, but experience God's love so that we live freer and with more energy from our creator. In the book, Now I Become Myself, I also write about how to overcome envious comparisons. I'm a competitive person by nature. And so when I'm swimming in the mornings, as I like to do, and I'm not a, an especially fast swimmer, but as I'm swimming and I see someone about to pass me in another lane, I speed up a little bit, thinking if I can only get to the wall before you, I'll feel just a little better about myself. <laughs> I know it's sort of pathetic, but confession, right? 
I talk about a practice that can help us overcome envious comparisons, which tend to leave us miserable. There's also a chapter on embracing our limits, how to say no without feeling guilt or shame, but just more spacious freedom. Uh, We've got copies, signed copies available of Now I Become Myself, How Deep Grace Heals Our Shame and Restores Our True Self on Main Street at the book table. If you're watching online, of course, you can get a copy online through Amazon or any online retailer. 100% of all the proceeds of all the royalties will go to World Vision and to missions that work with vulnerable children. So I, I don't receive a penny from any of my writing. We've got the the book on sale, less than 50% here at at this site. And if you can't afford the $10, I'm glad to gift you with a copy. I've got a credit card, so I've set aside some of my own money to do that. Last night, they projected that we might sell out at this service. And if that happens, because it seemed like almost everyone picked up a copy last night and got a copy for a friend. If that happens, we'll ship more books and you can get them at the same discount rate of $10. So they're available afterwards. Signed copies at the book table on Main Street. Let me close with this. When I was making the transition from the corporate world to the world of so-called vocational Christian ministry, I enrolled in something called the Arrow Leadership Program, which was founded by Leighton Ford, the brother-in-law to the late Billy Graham. He's Canadian, originally from Toronto. And I remember when we first gathered together, 25 of us or so, for that first inaugural Arrow Leadership class, someone looked us over and said, we're like fighter pilots in the movie Top Gun. We're sizing each other up as rivals. So I felt a lot of pressure. I think I was the youngest person in the group or one of the youngest, certainly the least experienced in Christian ministry. I was feeling insecure and wanting to prove to the founder, Leighton Ford, that he had not made a mistake in admitting me to the program. I was feeling sort of insecure, as I mentioned. I was feeling like I wanted to shrink back. And so I didn't say much in the classes, but I also wanted to go big and prove myself. So when we were in front of a cliff, about to do a cliff climb, I wanted to be the fastest person to the top, shrinking away, trying to go big at the same time. And here's what I discovered. As a young minister, as I stumbled and fell, as I got into a conflict with someone that I was working with because of my own emotional immaturity, here's what I discovered about Leighton Ford, that his love for me and his acceptance of me was not dependent on my performance. He loved me and received me just because it it was without condition. And that's proved true across the years as we've grown our friendship. Such a gift. When I became a new pastor in Vancouver, I remember Leighton and I were walking through a trail in Stanley Park He had known that I had done some writing for a newspaper when I was living in Southern California. And so he stopped in the trail and looked at me and said, Ken, now that you're a pastor, have you thought about writing on Christian themes? And I said, yeah, I've thought about it, but no, I won't. He said, why not? I said, because I'll never be able to write as well as Philip Yancey. (laughs) He's a great writer. He said, that's true. (laughs) That is true. But then he said, but no one will be able to write as you write. 
with your unique voice. And he would say the same to you, that no one will be able to do what you can do with all of your uniqueness. And that's the way I want you to experience God's relationship with you. That no matter what you've done or haven't done, no matter your flaws and shortcomings, which we all have, I want you to know that you are loved without condition, that you are immeasurably cherished by your creator and that God sees your strength, your potential and your beauty. My hope and prayer is that you would not feel like you need to shrink back or that you would not feel the pressure to go big just in order to prove yourself. My hope and prayer is that you would so awaken to how wide and how long and how high and how deep is God's love for you, that you would live from your truest self, from your most beautiful self, that you would become the made in the image of God masterpiece that you were created to become. Let's pray together. On this Pentecost Sunday, perhaps pray that the Spirit would come upon you in a a fresh way and open your heart today and each day to how much you are loved and cherished and even adored by God, your Creator. And if you're not sure that that's true for you, it can be. You can know that you are a daughter or a son of God. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross, mysteriously absorbing your sin and your shame so that you could be forgiven your sin, so that you could be freed of your shame, so that you could walk through the world with lightness of being and with joy. And you can say, I don't understand it all, but God, I receive your forgiveness. Make me your daughter, make me your son, and God will. And you can pray, living God, out of your glorious riches, strengthen me with the power of your Holy Spirit in my inner person, that Christ may overflow in my heart. And so that I might understand just how wide and how long and how high and how deep is your love for me, the vastness of your love for me in your son. And to know the love that surpasses knowledge that I might be filled to the full of the measure of you, the measure of God. And so now unto him, unto God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. According to his power, the power of his spirit that is at work within us. To him be glory in us, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.